Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I think I signed up for the account when I started Sedwell, but two years ago is when I really started posting content. And I think I just got really lucky. I think it's right around the time they started allowing people to put video and upload, you know, your own video. And I just figured that people might want to hear my story. And so I put out my first video on LinkedIn. I, I, I couldn't afford a haircut at the time. So I had a, a big afro and a, a big beard. And, and I was sitting on, on my couch and I just kind of told people a little bit about who I was and Candidly, I think that post is still up, and when I can find it, I think it still to this day has like three or four likes on it. And at the time, I had a couple, couple hundred followers, if that, and I just didn't get discouraged. I just, I think I got th- three likes on it at the time or something. I was really stoked on that. I'm like, three people liked this video on a business platform. So I just started doing more and more videos, and next thing you know, you know, I'm, I, I grew to, you know, 1,000 and then 5,000 followers. I I hung out at that level for a while. I really didn't have the the growth mindset on LinkedIn. I was just putting myself out there. And next thing I knew, people knew who I was and they liked me. And that's why I encourage everyone to do videos on LinkedIn. It gives people a chance to hear your voice, look in your eyes and get a sense for who you are. Hello and welcome to Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. This show is all about insights and explores how transformational moments of awakening have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthroughs teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is Corey Warfield, founder and chief visionary officer of Shedwool, an innovative cloud-based predictive scheduling platform for shift workers. Corey spent 20 years in the restaurant business, but he's always had an entrepreneurial spirit. He shares how his own experience using clunky scheduling platforms inspired the formation of his company. Corey openly shares his entrepreneurial journey as he reveals insights that would be useful for anyone involved in startups. He talks about the time he actually tore up a million dollar check and shares why he believes you should avoid raising money early on. He also talks about why he suggests not making the mistake he made by offering the service for free and why he feels finding the right team is absolutely critical to your success. Corey believes perfection is the enemy of progress and took action quickly when he started his company. He provides a play-by-play of what happened during the first year, including the unique way he found his co-founder and how two accelerator programs ended up setting the company back. As you'll see on the show, Corey is as genuine as they come caring, friendly, and authentic, Corey's the type of guy that would give you the shirt off his back. His giving spirit and welcoming personality has helped him amass an incredibly loyal following on LinkedIn with over 130,000 followers. Corey shares how he built this impressive fan base, but as you'll get to know him, you'll see exactly what makes him so endearing. He has a love more attitude, believes in giving without expectation, and has a how can I help you mentality with everyone he meets. He's absolutely adored by thousands as a result. But don't take my word for it. You'll see firsthand for yourself as we dive in with Corey Warfield on this episode of Inside Out. 
Corey Warfield, welcome to Inside Out. I am so stoked to be here. I don't say this lately, and I don't think I've said it before. I was a fan of your podcast. I was hoping to be on it someday. So the fact that today is someday, and uh, I'm just stoked. I'm really excited, and and I'm excited to jump into this. Well, the feeling's quite mutual. We had a chance to get to know each other now, I think a couple months back, and it was through LinkedIn that we met, and I instantly loved you because you have this very welcoming, authentic, and genuine approach to people that you communicate with. And as I started to learn more about you and talk to people about you, what I quickly learned is this was not unique experience, meaning that you have developed a, I would say, loyal group of people that just feel connected to you. And it's so important when you're building a community that the people in that community have a sense of trust and a sense that you are the real deal and that you're not some phony. And what I heard over and over again when I mentioned your name is, oh, I love Corey. I love Corey over and over and over again. And I just got to say, man, I, I've been spending a lot of time on LinkedIn over the last couple months And there is no one that I have met or even seen that has as deep and rich of a following as you do from, from just the the people that I've talked to, you are revered. You are absolutely loved. And I, I, I'm so excited to learn your story and to share your story with the audience that doesn't know you. So why don't we start there and let's just get a, a really um, good overview of your background and your story and what got you to where you're at today. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to give a little bit even more context than, than I sometimes do, and I'll run through this pretty quickly. But if you have any questions, feel free to hit pause, uh, interrupt me. I love being interrupted. I, I don't like when, when I can see someone's eyes glass over and they're trying to hold a thought until the end. So for those that don't know me, my name is Corey Warfield, founder and chief visionary officer at Shedwell. And I'm from the north side of Chicago in a town called Evanston, where it, uh, 16 years old, I, I started waiting tables and bartending at the business school there, uh, the Kellogg Business School, and that specifically at the Allen Center. And back then, if you were under 18, uh, you could work with a work permit. And if you weren't taking money for alcohol, you could serve it with a work permit. So I was a 16-year-old bartender, you know, waiting on a lot of the, the people that probably are now running the, the Fortune 100 companies. And that was my, my introduction into hospitality and service and uh, on a very low level, uh, you know, management. Then I went to college, wasn't for me, dropped out in 97, got a great job as a computer software tester with Rand McNally, did that for some time, worked on one of the first Atlas softwares, one of the first GPS softwares, got that through a temp agency that's still alive and well, you know, these 20 some years later that we're now partnering with at Shedwell, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but after that engagement, I decided not to go back to college. I was making what I'd hoped to make as a college graduate three years later with a lot of debt on my shoulders. And so I got a job at Searle Pharmaceutical Research as a metrologist. And well, I, they hired me as an office clerk and I did such a good job in a few weeks and they, they needed a metrologist. They got me certified and metrology is the science of weights and measures. And uh, so I was doing all the on-site calibrations of their digital balances and their pipettes. And we were working on some FDA-approved drugs. It was really interesting. I was wearing a lab jacket. I had my own office. I was a 19-year-old college dropout making great money. Uh, Even all these years later, great money. 
So I did that for some time, but then I had some things happen in my personal life and completely by, by my own fault, but I went very crazy and I ended up leaving uh, this part of the country and uh, very quickly found myself living on the streets for some time. So for about a year, I was you know sleeping in parks and, and, and things like that. And there are people that are nice and let you sleep on their, their floor and things like that as well. But I really just wasn't sure. You know, I was a young adult, college dropout. I didn't know anybody in the part of the country I was in. And I really just decided to, to kind of figure things out and do things the right way. And I started washing dishes at a restaurant in a small town in Colorado, which incidentally uh, is the town that, uh, that I ended up starting Shedwell in, you know, 15 years later, which is just very coincidental because I, I didn't line that up on purpose. But uh, in a small ski town, everybody wants to do what? They want to ski, right? Well, I couldn't afford to ski and I was sleeping in a garage that didn't have a running water. And so I'd rather be at a restaurant where I could use a bathroom, wash my hands, eat some food and, and, you know, actually make some money. So I was the best employee they ever had, right? I showed up early every day. I, I had nowhere better to be, so they couldn't get rid of me. I uh, did a great job. And so I started waiting tables and a, a regular there named Peter started requesting me to be his waiter. And this is Peter Yarrow from Peter, Paul and Mary. And, and he was kind of a, a bigger deal in the town. And so you know, they kind of, because Peter wanted me to be his waiter, they had to say yes. And so I started waiting tables. And so within one season, I went from a dishwasher to a waiter. And I, I did such a good job. Again, I was the only person that wasn't hung over every day because I couldn't afford to drink. And so I worked my way up to the nicer and nicer restaurants down that down that main street in, in Telluride, Colorado. And I ended up working at the nicest restaurant, started as a busboy, but worked my way up to the, to the lead server and, and then bar manager. And I got certified as a sommelier. And so I was making six figures, which was fantastic. I, I learned way too much about wine. So I became a cork dork. That afforded me some, op uh, some opportunities around the country. So I moved down to Houston, Texas, started running a, a chain of restaurants. I started bouncing around the country, uh, going region to region and either getting concepts profitable or uh, helping prepare to shut concepts down, right? And so went uh, into restaurant consulting for a bit. Went back into executive leadership for a bit. I was balancing numbers and I realized that the waiters in this particular concept were making more money than I was. And then I started realizing that they were having more fun, working less hours and all these things. And so uh, I, I, I went back to waiting tables as well. And I did kind of the you know, $150 ahead, prime steakhouse, Napa Cab is king type steakhouses here in Chicago for about a decade. Um, you know, dabbled in management, but primarily just on the front lines, either waiting tables, tending bar. I, I did a stint as an F&B director here. Um, and I did that forever. And at this point, it's 20 years I've been in the restaurant industry. And what, what, and you mentioned you have some experience in the restaurant industry as well. So when I say that on-call shifts are the bane of everyone's existence, you know what I mean. It's every other day, you don't know if you're working that day or not. You don't know how much money you're going to make. The that unknown. Week. It's the worst. And it's so bad. Yeah. That, thank God. It's almost so worse. At least you know you have a shift. Absolutely. You know you're going in. You're prepared. But it's like that unknown. It's that uneasiness all day, especially a lot of these restaurants. It's only at night that you're working. And so you have the whole day that's anticipating, do I work? Do I not work? And oh, totally get it, well, man. It's so bad that it's becoming illegal, which is great for us. But my, my kind of genesis thought was all the data exists. Like these managers, if they really thought about it, they know on Monday, if they're going to need me on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. Absolutely. And not only do these waiters know that to a degree, the computer systems do between open table and right between these, these, these couple platforms, the data exists to forecast these on-call shifts. So I said, I'm going to create a, a, an employee scheduling platform 
that's incredibly easy to use. At the time, we were using the $100 million 50-pound gorilla in the room, and it's, it's fun. The founder of that company is trying to join Shedwell now. He just got, got out of that one. But they've got substantial market share uh, internationally and, and certainly in the, in the U.S. restaurant industry. Uh, but so, so I'm going to make something a little easier, a little more like I would have wanted to use, and I'm going to launch it completely for free. Uh, this to all the entrepreneurs out there, don't do that. Um, nobody likes free products. Businesses don't trust them. Investors don't invest in them. And you can't, you, you can't give something free away for free, right? As they say, um, once I started charging for it, we started getting adoption revenue and then we raised a, a good amount of money. And again, I'm not a big raise money guy, but we got to a point where people were literally asking if they could please put hundreds of thousands. And then we extended our runway, shall, shall I say, uh, but it was really fun. It was four years ago, and I, I just realized there wasn't a good, easy, affordable scheduling f- platform. And so I put a team together, and I created it. The way I got my co-founder, I'll, I think I'll always love this story. I put a really cool uh, listing on Craigslist. That's how technologically savvy I was. If it said, oh, if you need a developer, you go to Craigslist. <laughs> I, um, I would say don't do that again, but maybe do, because... I put this really great listing and it was this long and it said everything that we wanted to do. I mean, I I gave the secret sauce to the world, right? This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do differently. This is how we're going to do it. And this is why I'm the guy to help bring this to life. And um, I can't pay you, but but I want you to join me on this. This could be something huge. And the title was something like, and and I say this for effect, but it's not too much of of an exaggeration. The title was something like, I can't pay you, but I love your help. Let's see if we can make this work. Um, and in two days, when I hadn't had a single response, I was really a little bit bummed. I mean, I, I had to do this. I knew this was going to be a big deal. And so I, I thought, maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's a, an error. Maybe I'm not getting all of the applications, right? So I went and, and I logged in with a, a different email address, and I responded to my own Craigslist ad. And sadly, I, I, I got that through. So I was the only person that had responded <laughs> to my own ad. And I, I said, okay, well, so it is working. That's not the problem but there clearly is a problem. And so I slept on it. And the next morning I went back and I reread it and I'm reading it and I'm thinking, this, this seems great. I mean, at, in retrospect, it was great. It was way too great, but it, but it was also way too long, right? And with a title that terrible, no one wanted to go in and read a half a manuscript. And so I said, okay, well, maybe it's this title. Maybe nobody's opening a listing that says I can't pay you. And, you know, let, let's, 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 take, let's take a chance together. And so I changed the title of the listing to make a million dollars, join a startup. Within 10 minutes, I had about 20 responses. Five, five years later, I haven't opened all of them. I had hundreds of replies. And you know, I've been coding for 30 years. This is a great idea. I know it, it was overwhelming. And, and I got, I got so it just overwhelmed. And one person and one person only was smart enough to go see if we had a landing page. We did. It was terrible. Um, but but I, you know, I had secured the URL and, and, and filed as an LLC. So I had a little landing page. And in the, in the bottom corner was my cool founder's email, Corey at Shedwell.com. And he was the only person that emailed me at that email address. So it was the only you know, response that I had that wasn't auto-generated from Craigslist, sent to my Yahoo account. And he basically said, hey, I'm in Houston now, but I'm from Chicago. I, I built the website and mobile apps for the biggest liquor store there. I'm looking for an, a, an additional product. Although he was with a billion-dollar company at the time with about a 100-person uh, team that, that worked with him. And... Uh, he said, I love the idea. I've got time. I'm happy to do this for equity. So, so you know, we, we agreed upon some terms and, and he built out first the, the MVP and, and then he brought us to, to market. Uh, so we've been on market a few years now and we've seen some adoption um, in a few industries. Um, one of them obviously being food and beverage, restaurants, quick serve, uh, hotels, right? Anything hospitality. 
We've seen adoption in manufacturing, which we'll touch on in a minute, um, experiential, a few other things. But one of the industries that's starting to really adopt us is the automotive industry. And I, you know, knowing a little bit about your background, I mean, it's the, so many things from the service side of things, even to the sales side, especially in this day and age that now people are going to be doing more and more online, but will have a need for boots on the ground. Getting the right people at the right place without misappropriating those, those, those resources is really at the end of the day what we're doing with Shedwell. And so we're into the labor law compliance around predictive scheduling and fair work week. Uh, we're now touching hiring and sales uh, sales contests, which I know your background as well is in restaurants and, and in automotive. Having a sales contest running for a, for a wait staff in a metropolis can be huge. Right? It can be the way to sell out a, a, a product. You know, we'll get we'll get Middleton sold out in the Chicago you know, market in a month and or will introduce, I mean, imagine a fireball could have reached all the, all the cocktail waitresses in a market when they launched, it would have been a game changer. Pays for the service. It would seem if you, if you provide that kind of value where you can have the, one of the benefits be that you're going to get that much more revenue uh, as a result, uh, it, it would stand to reason that if, if it's done effectively, you can, pay for at least a portion of the service that you're providing. So that's fantastic. Well, I love that. And we're incredibly, we're, we're about 70% lower than the industry standards. So we try to be really affordable, although we don't compete on price, but I'm going to make a, a first announcement to the world here on your show. And I think this will tie a lot in, but the first thing I'll say kind of to predicate that is that we are launching job boards so that companies in any industry with shift workers can actually hire qualified workers. I had alluded to the fact that we're going to be connecting temporary workers to opportunities as well. But all of a sudden, this is going to answer the question that anybody watching this that does know me has had for the two years I've been on LinkedIn. And those that, that don't know me might, might wonder, why is a guy with 20-year restaurant experience that started a scheduling company became, become a top voice on LinkedIn? Well, what we're doing with Shedwell is we're going to become the LinkedIn for shift workers. And here's what I mean by that. Right now, coming out of this crisis, there's nowhere that a restaurant or even a hospital or a security company can go to hire shift workers. And I'll tell you, the one place they're going to go somehow, it just came up twice in an episode, is Craigslist. These restaurants are going to go to Craigslist for workers. There's nowhere else. Facebook will try to do it a third time, but they've tried to do it twice and fail. There's no good repository online for shift workers. And if we can break it down by industry and by resource, so, so we've introduced some of those first elements to Shedwell. We'll release those next week in a community forum. But if we can have a social media feed where waiters can commiserate and share opportunities and companies can go and right there, they can see who's available, who's done what. We're going to gamify it a little bit. We're actually also building in uh, employee rewards because right now in a restaurant, once you get out of the three-week training, your reward is that you get to be on the schedule. And then if you do a good job moving forward, your reward is that maybe you get better tips, but you get to keep working there. That's it. We're describing a point system. So if you get good reviews as a waiter, you start to get points accrued. If you stay late and help them close, or if you'll pull a clopen and sign off so they don't get sued for that, uh, you'll start to develop points that are redeemable. And once you get out of training, everyone's going to get uh, an initial reward. And it's going to kind of be in that $10 price point. We'll, we'll pay for a month of their Spotify, Netflix, XM Radio, something like that. But to get out of training at a restaurant and to be rewarded instantly and then start to accrue points, 
can really significantly reduce turnover and churn and help the restaurants not need to have to rehire so much, which is a costly endeavor. So um, I know I did a lot of talking, but hopefully I was a quick pitch at the end. But that's what we're doing with Shedwell. Thank you. And let me let me just take that last piece first. Is that something that you had planned prior to the current crisis that we're in? And it just is a it ends up being even more needed now? Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, we're really trying to not only not be tone deaf, but we're really, we're actively trying not to be opportunistic in this crisis. We don't, I understand a lot of opportunities are going to be born out of this for us and for a number of other, you know, startups, established companies, industries, it's a given. However, with that said, we're looking at ways that we can leverage our software to help. So on our community page, we're putting free instances that anyone can spin up for volunteer opportunities. If they need some people in their community to come help them with a a project or if people want to find an opportunity. And, you know, that's, we won't monetize any bit of that in any capacity. We we just think that we have built something that can be leveraged in this time of need. Uh, but, you know, th- these are things that kind of do, you know, they grow our user base, more eyeballs on the site, but also giving us more user feedback as we continue to perfect. Uh, I'll probably in a, at some point in the show brag on our new CTO a little bit, uh, but he's just phenomenal. He will be one of the reasons that we're able to impact the world as greatly as we are. Think, yeah. So it sounds to me like this it ends up being something that you had this vision for as a result of your own experience. As you know, this show is all about insights. I want to unpack a little bit, maybe some of the insights you had spending as much time as you did in the hospitality, in the restaurant industry, as you said, mostly on the front lines, albeit you moved up the ranks from dishwasher all the way to $150 a person meals, uh, high-end sommelier. I'm curious, let's talk about insights. I want to talk about your restaurant experience. Obviously, that was a huge precursor to your now business, but when did the light bulb go off? And maybe it was multiple light bulbs where you had some major life insights and it doesn't all have to relate to the business. It could be just, you had an insight in in your career, but I'm curious if any stand out is more memorable than others. So I think what I didn't realize is that I'd always had an entrepreneurial mind. So as a kid in the eighties, I thought it would be really cool if my refrigerator was full of all the raw ingredients or uncooked ingredients to whatever degree uh, that went into McDonald's menu and that if in the door had an interface that I could say I want a Big Mac and it would assemble a Big Mac in the door of the refrigerator with microwave agents and, and sauce squeezers and all these different things. Um, it's interesting all these years later that that's becoming a little bit more of a reality. But back then it was Super Jetsons. Um, and then I had an idea years later uh, where I wanted to create. I'm a big watch guy. And, and the watch company that I like, I like to wear Tissot. They're Swiss made. They keep time for NASCAR. They're beautiful timepieces. But I'd always aspire to have a Patek Philippe or, you know, kind of the, the, the entry point where you want a Rolex. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool? And this is right when I had my Google G1 phone, iPhone, the first iPhone was coming out. Um, it was somewhat a different landscape. But I thought, what if I had a digital watch that could have a screensaver that looked just like a Patek Philippe or a Rolex or a Tag Heuer or whatever you want? Um, and then I could, what if it could actually notify me if I had a message or an email come through and then I know to check? So I put together a 10-page proposal on that. I called it Wayne, W-A-Y-N-E, W-A for watch, N-E at the end was for phone because it would connect you to it. And the Y was kind of an upside-down Mercedes signal just to bring it all together. I thought that was a fun name. Uh, And then I also had an idea for a shower that when you turned off the water, the air would still come through and it would blow dry you in in the shower. And I thought you could put some some moisturizing agents, right? It kind of turns it into a car wash for people. So I, I kept having these ideas 
when I was down in Houston, Texas, I wanted to start a, po- a charity poker tournament and I modeled it out where it, it would have made a lot of money for charity. So I always had these ideas and, and kind of towards the end of my restaurant career, I came up with an awesome idea for restaurants called Neighbors Bar and Grill. And the two things we were going to do differently, we were going to have edibles where instead of edible, but the edibles, everything came in an edible bowl. So the French onion soup is baked in a salamander and an onion. The chili came in an edible cornbread bowl, you know, right? These kind of things, taco salad, nothing that unique, but to put them all in this umbrella, it all came in an edible bowl. But then the, the, the thing on our menu that was really cool, and I made some of these and people really liked them, I was going to do gamburgers instead of hamburgers. So wild game hamburgers, buffalo, ostrich, uh, turkey. But, but then we we're going to have the only hamburger in the city of Chicago. And that was kind of our, it was our gimmick, but it was fantastic. And when I say I was going to have the only hamburger in Chicago, anyone should think I'm crazy until I say, well, no, you guys are all eating beef burgers. Ours is made out of ham. <laughs> right, right, right. I can't. I where you're going. <laughs> and, and it was, it, it was pork tenderloin. It, it was slow cooked. It was hand patted, bound together by a bit of pineapple juice with a baby Swiss ring on top. And oh, man, it, you're making me hungry, brother. <laughs> oh my God. On a King's Hawaiian roll. It, it was stupid. <laughs> And so I, I was on a private jet to Vegas with some people that wanted me to open this restaurant. And they wrote me a check, a personal check to, to the name Corey um, to, for a million dollars on the plane. And I still have the prospectus literally in the room next to me with the original menu and all the cost out. And we were drinking moonshine on this jet. And I realized I didn't want to owe my friends a million dollars. And I realized that I had done everything right in the pro forma except for this guy. So my GM was going to get paid something. My head chef was going to make something. The ownership was making something I didn't actually, you know, it was a, I, I didn't know what I know now about fundraising and things like that. I literally, in my mind, was just going to owe my friends a million dollars and not have any money coming into myself. And I was scared shitless. And so I was about half drunk on moonshine at whatever the altitude was. And I told them I didn't really want to do it. And they kind of laughed and said, well, if you don't want a million dollars, don't take it. And so it, I literally ripped the check up uh, on, on the plane. Um, but, and that was the that was the moment I realized I never want to open a restaurant. And, and now years later, I'm tripled down on that. People ask me all the time if I'm an opener. Nope. Not only will I never open a restaurant, I will never invest in a restaurant. <laughs> it's as close as I'll get is ordering food off a menu and paying for it. I want nothing to do with that industry. Curious, when you decided like you're not going to invest in a restaurant, when did the what made that happen? And then what was the next step that then gave you the vision for Shedwolf? So we were, I, I helped open a prime steakhouse here in Chicago uh, and, you know, big fanfare, uh, A-list, A-list celebrities at the opening, uh, high price point. I, I helped grow the private dining department there to, to double digit millions a year. And I had regulars that would come in like Steve Harvey and Vince Vaughn. And I'd wait on all the local sports teams. I had former presidents come in, Rolling Stones. And yeah, you know, it got really cool. Some of my favorite rappers, you know, would come in and and, and it was great and I made great money, but I was really starting to get sick. I mean, I was late thirties, waiting tables forever. I was, I was itching for something else. I tried to start my first startup, which was a wine review website called the swirler.com. Um, we never figured out how to make money and got hacked twice. And, uh, and I just walked away. My favorite part was these little hand-drawn wine cartoons that I was doing for them called wine tunes. And I still have all those and I absolutely love them. Uh, but so I was starting to get the <laughs> itch like and we got bought by a, a private company um, the, the first restaurant tour to become a billionaire in restaurants. And, uh, you know, they own concepts across the board. But I'd been at a fine dining steakhouse in Houston years prior that the same company, which is a, a Houston-based company, had purchased. And as soon as they purchased us, 
the portions got smaller, the quality of ingredients got a little bit worse, and the portion sizes got a little smaller, and they started to charge a bit more on the first day. On the second day, they took away a number of software solutions we were using, which were, were lesser at the time because this is now you know, probably 13 years prior, but we were using the competitor of ours that were dethroning at the time, and they took it away because it was expensive. So when they bought the steakhouse here in Chicago that I helped open, I told our 100-some person staff this was going to happen again, and unfortunately it did. So the day after I told everybody the, 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 the portion sizes would go down and the prices would go up, uh, it did. And so then that day when I said, well, watch, the next thing they're going to do is they're going to take away our, you know, insert scheduling company name here, um, but in a few other things, and they did it. And we were all anything but addicted to this platform. We were all on our phones all day, every day, seeing when we were going to work, seeing if there's a shift to pick up, requesting time off for, for any number of things, messaging with one another. So when they announced the next day that they were going to take it away, people kind of turned to me and all of a sudden I was Moses. I'm the guy that knows everything that's that's happening before it happens. And, and, and I knew that we needed this product and it was going away. So I started looking around for an alternative that was much more affordable. Uh, we actually offered to pay for it as a staff out of our own pockets. It would have, and we were a big staff, but I think it was just going to be us waiters. It was going to be something like 10 bucks a month each that we were going to pay. The new ownership denied that. They said uh, th- they didn't want it on their balance sheet. They didn't care. You know, they basically said, we, we don't care about you know, $300 a month or whatever it is. We care about showing that expense on our balance sheet. And when we take over concepts, we make them more profitable. And right, So realized that wasn't an alternative. I couldn't find anything on the market that looked good, that was affordable. And really, I was trying to find something free. I couldn't find anything. So I tried using some Google Sheets and some Facebook groups. I thought maybe that would work. And it, within days, became glaringly obvious there was no way that that was going to work to manage 100-some person staff. So, and, and, and I had been realizing as I was looking around that there were things I wished that the, the big guy would have done a little differently, or they did some things that I thought were unnecessary, but also they weren't taking this data and helping make scheduling decisions based on it. Uh, so that was kind of the, the genesis. I, I decided I had to start this thing. And within one week, I had the name, the wireframes, the mock-up, the website, the LLC, the Craigslist posting, although again, it was terrible, um, you know, at, least, at least in title. Um, but it's, I, I, I had read a, a book and I think we're going to, we're going to maybe touch on a few of my favorite books. I don't even think, actually, I know I don't have a copy of this one with me because every time I have it now I give it away, but I, I had read the lean startup by Eric Reese, which I think is a must read for any entrepreneur. But yeah, within seven days I was all in, I was, I was trying to learn how to code within seven days. Although seven days after that, I realized that my, my skill, <laughs> my skill set and intellect. That's when the Craigslist ad came into play. Right? <laughs> I was already looking for that guy. I thought maybe I'd just learn, learn enough to help him. But no, I, I just learned enough to annoy him. <laughs> okay, so you, you worked quickly. The idea, did you, did you have any idea sort of lingering or, or, or prior to this like avalanche of like, hey, I got to do this? Did anything, did you have it in the back of your mind previous? Or was it like, you had this idea and then you instantly went for it. Yeah, instantly. Okay. And so now, now you have this idea, you're, you're like jamming in this first week. Then you hit a, a little road bump, not getting the traction to find somebody. You make a change to your Craigslist ad and minor change makes a huge difference. All of a sudden you have this huge influx of interest. You identify the person that you bring on board to help. What then happened? What was the what was the next leg of the journey with Shedwool to 
kind of get it out to market. And then, you know, it's a four-year-old company, did you say? It is, yeah. Okay. And so what, what's been the journey sort of immediately following that first week? And then give us the journey for the, the remaining four years as well. Yeah. So, so certain things I can't legally speak about in too much detail, but effectively, we took a few months building an MVP, actually got a couple early adopters. I got some marketing around that. I started learning graphic design and things along along those lines. And my co-founder is a full stack developer, so he was able to you know get some pretty pretty compelling stuff together. And that got us into a, an accelerator program that will remain nameless. And and I spent four four months in the program. It was they changed their model the next year. It just wasn't a winning a winning program. And they they had a big fund, but they didn't invest in any of the companies. And they had us all set up for a fundraise, and then basically told all their investors that none of us were ready for investment. And so it felt like four, four months of my life kind of was, was wasted um, or, or, or perhaps maybe even counterproductive. Uh, but it did, you know, it, it got me, you know, you get mentor whiplash, right? But it, get, it gave me a thousand ideas I never wanted to hear and a couple that turned out to be decent ones. And But what it did do for us is it got us on the radar of their parent company, the Global Accelerator Network, that uh, had an idea that, all these companies coming out of accelerators really weren't set up for success. And all that they were really doing was setting them up to raise money. And, and some of them probably shouldn't have tried to raise money, including us. Um, we were just too early stage. Everyone says they do early stage investment, but they don't, right? They, they don't want to invest in you until you don't need it anymore effectively. And so uh, they put together the first ever global accelerator networks post accelerator. They called it scale school and a couple thousand companies from around the world applied and uh, they let seven companies in, and, and we were one of the seven that they accepted. We had just seen a, a ten-figure exit in our space. The space, is, you know, was and it continues to really heat up. Um, a lot of investment dollars have been going into the workforce management and employee scheduling software space right now, and so they accepted us. We did another four months with them in Vegas. Also, a, a disappointing experience in retrospect. It's, you know, I don't think I would have done anything differently if I if I could because it all got us to where we are now. But sure. uh, very underwhelming experience. And you know, they also had a fund. They were also setting us all up for investment. They also didn't invest in anybody. And so that was eight months of, of my formative years. But yeah, you know, what I did gain from both of them is they had us jumping through all these hoops and learning all these skills and and you know, frankly, making some pretty powerful introductions. Uh, and so I've been able to leverage all those. But once I got out of the second program, one of the things I'd heard enough times that, that you couldn't deny it was that you guys need to start charging for this. And so that was kind of, you know, I didn't, I still didn't listen. Um, but then a few smarter people uh, than them told me the same thing. So very quickly, I, I decided to listen to logic and, and reason and start charging for the product and our introductory price. I mean, our price is still comically low, which is great. I love it that way. Um, but our initial price was, I mean, I, it was still free. There was just a, a very low dollar sign next to it. It's like if if you don't want to pay this, and you, you you want you know, then we we don't want you as a customer. It's like the, we we made the barrier to entry so low, uh, but then we started making some revenue, and I was able to hire some people and and sell the dream. And that's around the time I started getting active on LinkedIn. So then everybody wanted to know you know what Shedwell was, who Corey was. People wanted to come work for us and. And it was great once we really started to get traction fairly recently, a couple of people that had gotten to know me said, you know, Corey, can we invest in the company? I said, well, I spent years trying to raise money very unsuccessfully. I'm kind of proudly bootstrapped, but you know, what are you thinking? And, and a couple of people asked if they could put, put a quarter million into the company. And I figured, you know, valuation fairly low, but quarter million, I can do that. So I opened up a quarter million dollar round just a couple months ago. 
And I think within one or two weeks, we had double subscribed the round to the point where I was starting to send checks back. Like, I don't want to sell you're really, this. You're really, you're really good at that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never put together that. Yeah, that seems to be a theme, right? Um, but so we, we raised some money and I was able to hire an amazing executive team. And, and so now I serve as the chief visionary officer and the chairman of the board. And they're still very much involved in the day to day. But, you know, rather than wearing 10 hats that don't fit me, I was able to kind of put put all the right people into place. And so now we're, you know, we're moving aggressively towards some national and international contracts, some companies we can frankly save millions of dollars. And even like a McDonald's where their former director of, uh, of technologies, our CEO now, they just paid out a $10 million fine violating the Fair Work Week Act in two cities in California alone. Two cities, they weren't compliant, $10 million fine, they paid it. Had they been using us, they wouldn't have paid that fine. So not only do we add you know, top and bottom line revenue and lower uh, labor percentages and, and, and bring additional EBITDA, but we also keep them compliant and the, the, the ramifications there are huge. And I hope you don't, uh, I hope you don't mind a shameless plug, but I had my team, we, we do our weekly uh, stand up on Thursdays and I was so excited to come on the show. And I, I mentioned you in the show and they've heard about you before. And uh, so are you going to talk about Shedwell? I said, I sure am. I'm going to, I'm going to wear my, my signature Shedwell shirt. They said, well, well, you just mentioned that we are raising our next round already. So as of, as of this week, we're, ra- we're raising a, a next round and uh, we've, we've already got some people come in and some of our existing uh, investors are putting more money in, but you know, for what it's worth, I'm the guy that hates to raise money, but they, they asked that I mention that. Everything you're saying doesn't surprise me because I, I think I know you, even though we don't know each other very well at this point, I know you well enough to know that you're the type of person that would give the shirt off of your back. That is why people connect with you and trust you and like you and believe in you and love you. And it's not surprising that you would start a company where you're going to give away your product for free, which by the way, great insight to future entrepreneurs that you advise to not do that. That's a, that's a powerful best practice or learning that you had as a result of trial and error and, and just learning from the entrepreneurial experience and journey. Curious, what else stands out as you look back over the last four years as an entrepreneur and getting Shedwell off the ground, if you could pass along some of the aha moments, insights, or learnings that you've had along the way to aspiring entrepreneurs that probably would provide some value. Absolutely. And uh, the first thing that I'll say is, is only tangential to that, but it's a quote I say that I think is really powerful. And that's that uh, perfection is the enemy of progress. I think so many people wait until they're ready or they just wait until they have a couple more thousand dollars in their savings account or whatever it is. And, and that procrastination can absolutely shut down a great idea. But I'd say the two things that, that I would really impart in, in, into most, most early stage entrepreneurs, the first is and I teach about this at Founder Institute. I, I, I speak on stages about this. I think people should not try to raise money. I think you know people think they can they can raise money on an idea or they can raise money on a, on an addressable market. And I think people spend way too much time and frankly emotion and resources trying to raise money when at the end of the day, people don't invest in pre-revenue or, or pre pre-launch companies. It's it's virtually, I mean, ten years ago that used to happen, and and I think. People are still hearing those stories and thinking it's possible. I don't think that's happening right now. I think people people are a little bit more savvy. I think people are, are understanding that companies will keep raising money, and you know, in order to even grow valuation, you've got to grow revenue and users. So they wait for that next round, and they say, okay, we might pay a little bit more per share, but we're de-risking this because they've got you know 
$10,000 a monthly recurring revenue or whatever it is. So I think just stopping raising money. There's so many creative and scrappy ways to prove a concept, to, to, to validate a product market fit, to get some type of a minimum viable product to market. Um, so I really, that's, that's the, the number one thing. I wish, I wish I would have known not to raise money for those first two years and, and we'd probably be you know, in, in a, different, a different phase of the company already. Um, but again, I, I wouldn't change anything this time around if I could. Uh, but I think other than trying to raise money, the other thing is really, you know, anyone would rather have 1% of a billion dollar company than 100% of a $1 million company. So I think people trying to hold their equity too close to their chest you really need a team. You, we've never heard of a company that was founded by, by a solopreneur. I mean, we hear Tesla, we think Elon Musk, but he had a team, right? Even though he had, he had PayPal money, he didn't do it by himself. He had engineers, he had, right? It, and so I think people really try to do too much, you know, bite, uh, bite off more than they can chew. You know, uh, one of the, the expressions you hear often is you can't boil the ocean. Um, but I really think just asking for help, being responsive to it, and not trying to raise money, I think, if people stop trying to raise money and start trying to raise awareness or raise, you know, adoption or, or raise product, I think there's so many ways to do that other than sweating bullets and putting on your best clothes and trying to walk into a VC office and pitching them for 50 minutes and having them say, well, you guys are a little bit too early stage, but fill us in once you're making money. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it, it seems to me to be the wrong approach. So that's what I'd offer. Fantastic. I love everything you said. And I personally respond and relate to everything you said, like everything from the perfectionism piece to building a team and not trying to do it all yourself to not trying to hold it all yourself from an equity standpoint. And look, teams are more, far more capable of doing incredible things than a single person. And History has proven that concept time and time again. And I think all too often we see people, and I, I will readily admit that I've been this person in various parts of my life where you hold on to a project or uh, a company or something to try and do it all yourself and try to be everything to all people. And it just is a losing proposition. Well, I think the biggest thing about that is I, we can distill it to one word. I think that is ego. And I, I don't think ego and entrepreneurship really, you know, I, I think they, they butt heads. They so do. Let's unpack that a little bit. And with the concept of ego, one of the things that I think interrupts and interferes with people's own life trajectory is they allow themselves to get in their own way. You, you spoke uh, just a few minutes ago about how you, about two years ago, got very active on LinkedIn. I want to talk about that journey, but I want to talk about it relative to why you decided to become more active. Were you on the platform to begin with? Were you not? And then let's dive in a little bit on that ego topic, because one thing that I found is a common thread is the people that are humble, that are vulnerable, that are able to share their story, that are able to in a very empathetic way, relate to other people and allow other people to relate to them. They're the ones that flourish on the platform. So I'd love to hear your LinkedIn journey. Absolutely. See, I, I think I signed up for the account when I started Sedwell, but two years ago is when I really started posting content. And I think I just got really lucky. I think it's right around the time they started allowing people to put video and upload you know, your own video and I just figured that people might want to hear my story. And so I put out my first video on LinkedIn. I, I, I couldn't afford a haircut at the time. So I had a, a big afro and a, a big beard. And, and I was sitting on, on my couch. And 
I just kind of told people a little bit about who I was and, you know, candidly, I think that post is still up and when I can find it, I think it's still to this day has like three or four likes on it. And at the time I had a couple, a couple hundred followers, if that, and I just didn't get discouraged. I just, I think I got three likes on it at the time or something. I was really stoked on that. I'm like three people liked this video on a business platform. Um, so I just started doing more and more videos. And next thing you know, you know, I'm, I, I grew to, you know, 1,000 and then 5,000 followers. And I, I hung out at that level for a while. I really didn't have the, the growth mindset on LinkedIn. I was just putting myself out there. And next thing I knew, people knew who I was and they liked me. And that's why I encourage everyone to do videos on LinkedIn. It gives people a chance to hear your voice, look in your eyes and get a sense for who you are. And people do business with people they know, like, and trust. I mean, that's cliche. Um, but people really did get to know me and, and like me. And I think 20 years as a waiter, I brought that how can I help you mentality. I'm used to going up to a table of strangers and, you know, first, first you need to ask them if they want bottled, bottled water. So you know, as a waiter, I'd come up with a bottle of Pellegrino and, and, and Aquapan and say, can I offer you some virgin champagne or some virgin vodka? Always got to laugh. I think knowing how to break the ice in, in a situation like that is really paramount. And I think, you know, I, I laughed for, for years. I was the worst salesperson ever. I know you're the best salesperson ever. I was the worst salesperson ever because, first of all, I told myself I was, and what we tell ourselves is true is true. But my thought process was, I don't know how to sell anything because by the time I get into my sales cycle, I'm, I'm standing at your table that you're sitting at. You're in my section of my restaurant. You know what our price point is. You know what kind of food we, we serve, and you're hungry. I don't need to convince you you should eat. I don't need to convince you that you should be coming into Mastro's. Um, I don't need to convince you of anything. You're already here. You're just going to tell me what you want. And if you want me to guide you a little bit, I, I can sell you a bone and, you know, cowboy ribeye, whatever it is. I mean, we can do the tomahawk, but the chicken's great too. And I think that's the same when I sold cars in the 90s, same mentality. It's like I do the, non, the non-aggressive sale. Um, but in, in a restaurant, they're already hungry. They're going to order from you. It's just a matter of what they're going to order. And I've, I've sold people for very simple math, $1,000 checks and gotten $20 tip on it. Okay you know what, then maybe I don't need to sell $1,000 tip. I've had tables that I sell $200 check to that tip me 200 bucks. I would much rather make an extra $180 and make the restaurant an extra 800 And so I think, you know, from that, through that lens of just how can I serve people? How can I, how can I help people? How can I, you know, I didn't look at it as adding value at the time, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, how can I add value? And I think so many people are used to the coaches and the, the authors and the, the self-help gurus on LinkedIn and they're all sick of that. I think seeing some guy with messy hair and a big beard talking about how much it sucked to wait tables and you know how he's hoping to, to, to bring his idea to life. And then what I do think has been really powerful for me is I think people have seen us in real life close things like Wendy's, right? I think, you know, all of a sudden now as an entrepreneur, they're like, wait, they're, they're doing real deals with real companies and these real companies like them so much that they're talking about them. And right you know, sure. now we're partnering. Legitimizes with yeah. everything that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So this is great, man. I, I didn't realize that as you started, you started with the, the big, you know, Afro and the big beard, but <laughs> I love that. And it, it just only further echoes what I, I shared at, at the you know, top of my question here, which is the more real and organic and genuine you are, the more it resonates with people. Cause at the end of the day, people just want to relate to the person, as you said, look, look somebody in the eyes and get to know them, right? And yeah, cliches exist for a reason. If you know somebody, if you like somebody, if you trust somebody, you are more likely to want to be around that person to do business with that person. What mistakes are you seeing p- 
people make on the platform. I'm curious, you've probably seen a lot of people do it in, in ways that haven't resulted in, in success on the platform. I'm curious what common mistakes or pitfalls either you've made or you've seen other others make. I'm, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take it in two directions. The first is the the problem that I see almost everybody make, or at least when I see anybody make this problem, it's always a problem. And then I'll, I'll put a Corey spin on it. I think you'll like, and then I'll talk more about kind of the, the, the aspiring or the quote unquote influencers and what I think they might be doing wrong. Um, but on the, on the most basic level, so many people introduce themselves with a cold pitch on LinkedIn and, and it could be in a comment on someone else's uh, uh, post. It could be in a direct message or a connection request. It could be in their own post, but no one's there to be pitched. No one appreciates it. And, and that I see as a problem. So don't cold pitch, but also be direct. I mean, everyone on there is there for a reason. And I think once you realize that everyone's got an agenda and a lot of our agenda is just to help people, but that is an agenda, right? So I think you know, just helping, helping us help you, you know, those of us that are content creators. So the cold pitch, I think, is what I see a lot of people do wrong. But what I see a lot of the content creators, you know, the people that are aspiring or even full-fledged uh, LinkedIn creators, there's a there, there's a really weird. I hesitate to say epidemic uh, because you have a real one of those with the coronavirus or a pandemic. But all these people on LinkedIn right now are saying, "Do you want to grow on LinkedIn? Here's how: like the post, comment time, open." And I don't know if that works. And I'm sure it does to a very small degree. And it you know it's it's a bunch of placation, but it's the weirdest thing. Like literally, it's unbelievable <laughs> how much it's happening. Unbelievable. And it's as though they're copy and pasting the same thing. And I don't know if they saw someone get a thousand likes doing it, and and, and they haven't had a thousand likes in three months. And it, I don't get it, but it's just the weirdest thing. And it sounds so desperate. It sounds so disingenuous, and and it and it positions you as someone that people really wouldn't want to do business with. It's you know, people gave me the hashtag Corey Connects because I love to connect people by tagging them, but I take the time to thoughtfully tag people that I think should know each other. And right, it's not just a whoever the heck you are around the world, whether you're a serial killer or a misogynist, just just like this post and you know, we'll all connect. It's really bizarre and, and it seems really predatory. So I would say I, I see a lot of the, the the influencers doing that. I think they're gonna lose their influence. I think they're gonna lose their their footing as a respected content creator. Um, and then meanwhile, people like me that would never do that, you know, for what it's worth, I think we're, we're seeing an upside to not doing that. You know, I think people are waiting to see Corey Warfield's post like that never going to happen. <laughs> and so it, it, it helps further establish myself as an actual thought leader that cares. Dude, thank you for sharing that. And I could not agree more when I, I've seen these things pop up and I'll admit I, I have more often than I would like. I've said, sure, I'll connect. I have never done that post. Yeah. And, and I've always, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I saw it again and again and again. And now it's like, it's overtaking my feed. I, I can't even believe how many people are doing it. I'm going to ask you a question and, and you could politely not answer, but what's your thought on the whole pod engagement pod phenomenon as well? For those that don't know, maybe you could describe that and share your thoughts on it. Yep. So I don't have a big problem with engagement pods. It's basically groups of people that want to support each other. And when you post, you share a link and then go on and, and, and do that. Um, I've been added to so many pods and, you know, literally I, I don't really engage with most of them ever. So I, I don't even know who's in them. Um, you know, people ask me if I'll join I say not really. And it's, but the main reason I don't have time for it. And my personal brand is strong enough that I can't just rant. I can't commit to engage with content that I haven't seen. If it's off brand or if it's you know something like we were just talking about, 
I don't want someone to see my signature purple shirt and smile with a rainbow background um, making that post. And so those people are in the pods. And so I have to keep a little bit of a distance. But interestingly enough, and, and I do a lot of testing on the platform, and one of my hashtags is link tips. And um, I, I use that hashtag L-I-N-K-T-I-P-S to share everything I find out about the algorithm. Posts that have the same pattern. So if the same couple people are liking it the same amount of time, the algorithm will substantially reduce those. So I see people in pods getting 20, 30 likes on their post. I tested my posts. I've tested a couple times the same post, same time of day, one in a pod, one not. My posts do substantially better if they're not put in a pod. And again, I think that it, that it dilutes genu- the, the genuine authenticity of you know, posting on LinkedIn to help people. So I'm not so big in it. That said, I know a few people, some, some dear friends of mine with amazing content that took pods to the, to the extreme, right? They joined probably 10 pods at once and probably engaged with 100 people in pods every day. But, you know, you see these people in record time, weeks, you know, grow to 20,000 followers and getting 500 likes per post. And some of them have turned it into, you know, six and even seven figure businesses. And uh, some of them are putting out great content and helping people. So, you know, I think there are, there are good people in pods. I think there are good reasons to use pods. I'm not uh, actively in pods. Uh, you know, I've never, I've never created pods. And I've, I have so many people that yell at me for everything I do in pods not knowing a thing, just assuming that because I can get a thousand likes on a post that I must be in pods right, you know? right, right, and it right. is what it is. But, you know, I think they're, they're, they're good for what they are, but they're not good for everyone or for everything. Right. No, makes sense. Okay. So we talked about some of the things to not do. What do you suggest for somebody that wants to grow on LinkedIn and to grow in the right way? Give us a few of your best practices or tips. Yeah. So the first one I talk about often, and it's, I I hesitate to say it because it's so simple. It should literally just be common sense, but I get that it's not for everybody. And that's just engage, engage, engage. It's, it is the law of reciprocity. The more you engage with other people, the more people engage with you, period. People see my 130,000 followers and my, my four or five, 600 likes on posts and think that, um, it's either just all coming to me or I'm in a hundred pods. The reality is it's because I spent a year engaging with a thousand people a day. And, you know, I spent hours a day on the platform, but every time you can like someone's content adds value to them. Every time you can comment on it adds value to them. Anytime you can bring other people to someone else's content, it adds value to them. And so with the click of a button in less than one second, I can like someone's post and have just added value to them. Um, but, and then I did a post recently about this, what, what it blows my mind it, that people don't seem to do often is engage with second and third connections. Engage with people you don't know. Type in a keyword, mm. type in new Tesla, and then filter to content if, you, if, you, if you're interested in the new Tesla. And you'll see people you don't know, second and third connections, post about the new Tesla. Engage with them. When they see someone they don't even know, engage with them. They're likely to go follow you or connect with you. They're likely to comment on your comment back. I've, I'm now, in, and I, I won't name him by name in, in this podcast, but there's a gentleman, CEO of a company that owns several iconic international fast food chains. They've got like $6 billion in free cash flow. They're one of the biggest restaurant chains in the world. He ran one of their concepts before they bought the other two. And, and so now he's, he's a young executive with billions of dollars assets under management. Um, and he's, he's active on LinkedIn. He's never posted on LinkedIn, though. And I wanted to connect with him because he's a prospect. We can save his company $50 million a year minimally. And so... I went and I checked out his profile and, and I saw he had never posted before because I was just going to go start engaging with his stuff. But so then instead of uh, posts, I went to all activity and saw that he engages on plenty of other people's posts. 
And he, mm. he engages both in, in English and in Spanish, and I speak Spanish as well. So I started engaging with some of the posts that either named him that he was commenting on, or you know, I was showing up in English and Spanish saying, I, I love, I, I might as well say, you know, one of the companies is Burger King, and at the time Burger King was doing the Impossible Whopper. And so I was going on there saying, I love what you guys are doing with the Impossible Whopper and things like that. Well, the, the CEO of that company reached out to me, connected. I sent him a message. He responded back. We now have a working friendship, and, and we will land that company at some point. We don't have them, we don't have them landed yet, and you know they're, they're still uh, in the infancy of that sales cycle. But he's put me in touch with the right people. We, you know, we've gotten some conversations, and that literally just came from searching for his name um, and, and then searching his activity and engaging with them like we were best friends. So I think engaging with strangers, putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, but at the end of the day, it's just engage, engage, engage. Yeah. And one of the things that I saw in a recent post that you put out was not just engage on LinkedIn, but engage on other platforms. And some people say, well, how does you, you mentioned this, you say, well, how do you, how do you have relationships with Bridget and all these other people? What you, what you said in your video is that you engaged on other platforms on Twitter, on Instagram, TikTok, you name it. And all of a sudden, somebody that maybe is untouchable on LinkedIn, you engage with them on another platform and they see your name and that you begin to connect with them. That's how I initially got, and he doesn't engage with me much anymore, but a gentleman named Oleg Vishnopolsky, who's the CTO of the Daily Mail, he had a million followers on, on LinkedIn. There's no way he could get his attention there, but I noticed he didn't have a big following on Facebook where he was active. And so just started sending him some messages there, got to know him, sent him a link to a post of mine got on his radar, he started engaging with me. And next thing you know, he did a post about me and said, you know, Corey Warfield has 5,000 followers, but he gets more engagement than people with a million followers. And here's why. And I I think I had 30,000 people check out my profile within two days of him posting about me. I mean, it was just, it was, it was huge, but it was totally from a Facebook engagement. Fantastic. So look, in a minute, we're going to get into the lightning round, but before we do, I want to just sort of, I want to make sure we didn't leave any insights on the table. One, Two, I want to hear about what's in store for the future, both of Shedwool, but also for you personally, both, you know, you and, and incredible momentum that you've built with LinkedIn, but the incredible momentum you've built with your business. So let's start with the insights. Are there any insights that we didn't talk about? And it could be something from childhood. It could be something from your experience as a waiter. It could be something as an experience as an entrepreneur that we didn't talk about that you think would be valuable to share with the audience. Well, I'm sure there are some, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because I hope to be back on at some point, but I'll leave everyone with a quick quote. But then before that, the one thing that I would just tell everyone, and if you know this, great, but if not, love more, love yourself more, love strangers more, love your companies more, love your environment and your world more, love each other more, even if you don't agree with the other person on the other end of whatever it is, love, 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 love will win. Um, But, and then the quote that I love, and, and we've all heard the first half, but the second half really brings it home to me. Give without expecting. That's the way to grow on LinkedIn. It's a way to grow a business, right? So, so give without expectation, but also receive without resisting. And that, I think, is a big one. So many people are so scared to take a compliment or to take an, a, a tag from somebody else on LinkedIn or to take a quarter million dollar investment, right? Whatever it is. So give without expecting, but receive without resisting. And, and that's going to be my, uh, my Jerry Springer final thought. I love it, man. All right, let's get into the lightning round. This is a series of quick hitting questions where you just give me your gut reaction or response and let's get started. The first one is what excites you? Everything. But what really excites me is seeing people following their dreams, whatever that might be. Ah, man, me too. What scares you? Absolutely nothing. 
Okay. Wow. That's impressive. I love, uh, I love failure. You know, I'm, I'm a big fail fast, fail forward guy. So nothing, you know, lately as I, as I get more advanced, you know, I'll be 42 in a couple of weeks, you know, I'm starting to, to tune into possible mortality. Um, but when we get into one of my, one of my heroes, I'll talk a little bit about transhumanism and I, I worry I might be able to be immortal. So even that doesn't scare me. Oh man. Ah, we, we need to do like 10 of these sessions, brother. I'm like, <laughs> I want to like just get deep and talk about the future. Ah, so much to talk about. Okay. What surprises you? People. Okay. You want to elaborate? In, 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 <laughs> in so many ways. I mean, how, how selfish people can be, how ignorant, but also how kind, how supportive, how just in, in, uh, ingenious, just everything. I, I think I'm amazed every day by people, whether it's how funny they are, how, how mean they can be, just you know anything. But I, I'll, I don't think I'll ever be ready for what people can throw at you at any given moment. This world it's magical because of people, but it's also, there's so many other layers to it that I could understand why people surprise you for sure. Okay. So if you feel comfortable answering this question, please do. If not, I totally understand. When was the last time you cried and why? So, and I'm, first of all, I'm always comfortable to answer any question. Um, I probably cried yesterday and I cry pretty often. Um, and I can cry when watching Shark Tank. I can cry when watching American Idol. Um, I can cry. I'll, I'd like to cry for, for joy. I think the, the other day when I cried, I was hugging a friend and I know we're supposed to do the social distancing thing, but, um, I, I proudly cry. I love crying. I, I've, I actually cried during an, during a, an Abraham Hicks meditation the other day as well. So, you know, if a day goes by that, I don't cry. That's the anomaly. Ah, proud crier. I love it, man. Well, you're in touch with your emotions. What book have you recommended more than any other book and why? So Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill to me. I read it often. I'm in a mastermind class about it. Um, and I just think it's so actionable. It's almost 100 years old, born out of the last depression. Um, and I think it's just still so relevant and it's changed my life. Also, the Lean Startup I referenced earlier. But then here's one more. People know Simon Sinek, but Leaders Eat Last. That mindset to me really helped me kind of establish the cadence and become the type of leader that I wanted to to be and you know have become. So. Yeah, that, that's a whole podcast right there too. And I, I, I love all of your recommendations. Okay, if you could spend one hour with anyone living or dead, who would it be and why? Elon Musk. And it'll make more sense when I tell you what's next for me. But uh, love the guy, hate the guy, respect the absolute heck out of him. But uh, just some of, the, some of what he's done, what he continues to do and just, just his energy. He's, he's the guy for me. Okay. Well, you know what I feel is uh, visionary. Having worked for Tesla, there's no one that compares to him. And uh, there, you know, he's a once not in a lifetime. He's once in a multi-century uh, visionary uh, human being. So incredible person. Okay, and he has flaws. He's not perfect. We all know that. If you had the chance, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Really, the twenty-year-old self of mine would have just needed to hear to love more. You know, I think that's that's what's changed my life, and what so really just love more. And you know, back then I could have heard that that loving myself would have been a good thing to do, and you know, showing love to others. But I think love more. Yeah, such great wisdom right there. Okay, do you have any regrets in life, and if so, what are they? None. Okay, I had a feeling you're going to say that. Okay. <laughs> oh, how about this? I wish I would have got on LinkedIn earlier. Okay. Yeah. Well, for sure, I think a lot of people feel that way. Okay. Um, who are your greatest mentors and what did you learn from them? So I, I, I hate to say it. Yeah, not that I don't have mentors, um, but a lot of them kind of, you know, have never met me and, and, and 
don't know that I exist. And so you know, the sharks from Shark Tank, although I do know Damon a bit now, he and I have spent a little time together. Um, but I think watching Shark Tank with Tim Draper, um, you know, I haven't really had a lot of in-person mentors that have impacted me. Um, so, you know, reading people like like uh, Eric Reese and Simon Sinek, I think have helped. But um, specifically to LinkedIn and, and maybe a little bit more generally, Carrie Luxum has been an amazing mentor to me. She's a, an HR specialist here in Chicago that's active on the platform. Bridget Hyacinth has, I've learned a lot from her and she's been incredibly supportive. Uh, so she's, I would say she's really become a mentor. Uh, and other than that, all of my fans, like I learned so much from the people around the world that support me and, and love me and, and, and care about me. And it's great if I don't post for a week, I'll have a hundred people asking if I'm okay and still alive and what they can do to help. So <laughs> I think just humanity, you know, has, has really, and, and my executive team as well, I learned from them, but, you know, I hesitate to call them mentors uh, because I think I'd, I'd had the mentoring that brought me here when, when I brought them into my world. Yeah, no, I love it, man. And you just, uh, somebody doesn't need to be, uh, to know that you're, that they are your mentor for them to be your mentor. And I think you just beautifully stated that. Okay. You, you've achieved a lot in your life. You've done a lot in your life. If one achievement stands out more than any others, what achievement is it that you're most proud of? Just actually starting a company. It's, you know, like I, I mentioned, so many that I'd wanted to start. I think actually just just seeing it through past kind of the, oh, we got hacked, haven't made any money, let's quit. Um, I think just seeing it through some of the initial hurdles, um, I'm so grateful that that happened in my life and that I was, uh, you know, obviously the, the catalyst of that. Uh, but I'm incredibly proud of that. As you should be. And Truly um, so impressed with everything that you've done, both with your company and, and just who you've become as a human being is so impressive. So we've learned a lot about you. And I know that the audience is so grateful for the wisdom and the insights that you've shared. What may surprise the audience that we haven't yet learned about you? Well, for those that don't follow me very closely on LinkedIn, they might not know that I am a freestyle rapper and I like to beatbox and play guitar and rap. And so I was one of four guys that did the first rap song for LinkedIn on LinkedIn. Um, and I've done some fun kind of, you know, freestyle rap videos on the platform as well. But I think most people when they see a middle-aged white guy, tech entrepreneur, you know, probably, you know, would be surprised when they hear that. Oh man, I'm going to have to go find some of those. I haven't seen that yet. Very cool. All right. So last question is simply this, what's next? What's on the horizon? Give us a flavor of what's in store for the future for Corey Warfield. So here's one of the reasons I want to talk to Elon, but this is absolutely going to happen. This is the next big step. And you know, we, we, we understand that, that we have our, our acquisition target for Shedwell. That they, they've shown you know, early interest. We understand how that could work. And um, it's, it's, it's a big company with, a, with, with big aspirations at the exit. But what's for me after Shedwell, um, I've got a really, really, really great idea. And I've even mentioned this to some NASA engineers and stuff, uh, but to get to the bottom of the ocean. We've never been to the bottom of the ocean. And uh, it's effectively creating a wormhole, or you can call it a, a vertical monorail with an explosion. And I mean, there's so much that goes into it, um, but we can send robots or people. And we've never been to the bottom of the ocean. I think that the thousands of years of debris and things hitting you know, the ocean, which is the majority of the surface of the earth, or the shipwrecks that we've never found, or the life forms that, that we, you know, we find increasingly um, cool and unthought of life forms the further down we go as well. And so you know, being able to do that in a non-destructive way as well that, that's ecologically friendly but that can really help open up uh, you know our eyes to a new a new frontier and you know whatever that might come with that and then the 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 big hairy audacious goal beyond that is that same technology could be leveraged to get to the moon and then potentially 
and you know, in a very cool scenario, could be leveraged to bridge and get even further than the moon. So exploration, exploration, exploration. Oh man, wow, so deep, and uh, that's again another whole other podcast to talk about the exploration that we can do, the uncharted territory, and the worlds that we don't know, even on our own planet. Corey Warfield, thank you for being on Inside Out. You were an absolute pleasure. You're a legend and somebody that I deeply respect and admire. And I'm so grateful that you took time to be on the show. Anytime. I will be watching further episodes. Love all your guests. Love your energy. Love what you're doing. So we'll circle back. And I hope to see everyone that watched this uh, down the road as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out. Oh, my God.